0: Welcome to Conversations with Robbie Sherman. I'm the titular Robbie Sherman. It's a pleasure to have you today. Danielle, how are you feeling?
1: Good. I'm so happy to finally be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah,
0: it's been a long time coming. You're from <laughs> the No More Yeah, you're from the No More Late Fees podcast. You and your friend Jackie are former Blockbuster employees who now talk about all the movies you used to rent out when you were working at Blockbuster back in the day.
1: That's right, yeah. We cover movies from 1995 to 2005. We've been best friends since we were in high school, and we also worked at Blockbuster, and we just talk about some of the worst, some of the best movies in that time frame, and um, it's been really fun. We started last year, so it's it's been an a interesting journey so far.
0: I am very much a uh... Child of the '90s in the sense that I wasn't even necessarily a teenager in the '90s, but my like young adolescence came in the '90s. So so many of the movies you talk about, I, I either know by heart or I, or I don't know that well, and I saw on TV here and there, and I just have random memories of. You talked about the new Space Jam when the uh, the sequel came out into. It was interesting hearing you go over it. I think that's a movie that doesn't age well <laughs> in the way we wish it would. So, uh, yeah, I always like hearing how people, like, look at it when they take off the lens of nostalgia. Um,
1: Space Jam was an, an interesting movie because at the time it wasn't, it wasn't one that I, like, obsessed about personally, but I know so many people loved it, Um it didn't age as poorly as some of the other movies we've seen where we're like, "Oh wow, that did not go over well at all." But um it, it definitely became one of our more popular movies, um episodes actually cuz we didn't realize how deep the love for Space Jam was until we did it. It's like one of the ones that people say they listen to first and I'm like, "Really?" Okay.
0: Wow. <laughs> oh. Um, that really says a lot about how much people like that movie. I mean, I guess, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: it, I guess it says a lot about that movie that it was even able to get a sequel like 20 years later. But as an animation fan, I've always been underwhelmed by it because... The the animation in it, like, integrated with the live-action, just isn't that interesting, really. They don't have, like, good shadows to go with it. Yeah. And a lot of the bits they use as comedic touchpoints are just recycled jokes from old Looney Tunes skits anyways. And the, the movie that, that came after it, Looney Tunes, back in action, it has some of the same problems, but is a little bit superior because it has Joe, Joe Dante behind the camera. And, of course, he's really interested in making good animation. So that movie has much better animation than anything going on in Space Jam. We, um,
1: we were really surprised because we just did Casper not too long ago. Yeah. And we were surprised just, like, how the graphics on that movie just really still hold up even now. Like, I know that, you know, Steven Spielberg and Amblin were behind that one, but it looks really good, even in 2022. I, I was surprised.
0: I think Casper has held up as far as the 90s family movies go, partially because it is so dark. Like, it doesn't let up on the creepiness of what it's about. And I also, I never really liked anything to do with the Casper cartoons or the mm-hmm. but I do like that movie because it creates an interesting father daughter dynamic between yeah. Richie and, Ricci. and uh, is that Jeff Daniels who's her father
1: no it's Bill Pullman it's oh. a very normal mix-up for some reason everybody and then I think you can also mix in Bill Paxton like those three some reason yeah. people get them all mixed up
0: <laughs> yeah. I think they all have the same chin so people kind of rotate them in and out <laughs> based on how they're feeling in the day.
1: <laughs> I I got super I was surprised when I found out that the new um the new Top Gun movie one of the guys in the movie is Bill Pullman's son and like Oh. Huh. I forgot what his name was. He was um the guy that didn't have a nickname. And he flew with um, the female pilot, like oh. her, her, um, her back pilot. I don't know anything about like what to call it properly, but or anywho, you. like when I saw his face, was like something about this guy seems real familiar, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I found out after that, oh, that's Bill Pullman's son, and he's dating um, Andy McDonald's daughter in real life. So it's like, oh. Really? weird um, nepotism baby mashup
0: yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. that kid will have to work real hard to get into Hollywood <laughs> <laughs> I, that's very intriguing I had no clue about that I, I also listened to your final destination episode recently and that was so fun to go through I've never been a particular fan of those movies, so I, I definitely like it when people take the cheese out of them and just kind of break down how silly they are. <laughs> like they have one scene in that movie where a woman literally is talking beforehand about how she's not going to die, and then she just walks in the middle of traffic and is just acting all willy nilly. Bam, bus, <laughs> just out of nowhere. It's just a bus. Like she would like she wouldn't see it. Like, <laughs> it's. The thing
1: is, like, when you look at it now, you're like, God, what were we thinking, right? But at the time, like, if you go back and you really think about it, it was so different than any of the other movies that had come out at the time. So, like, I think when we were talking about it, that was really good for us to kind of put it in perspective because I really didn't think of it in that way. But, like, we were in the middle of, like, a slasher renaissance at the time that we, by the time we got to final destination and that one took it like to another level because we didn't have like, um, a masked person chasing somebody or, or, you know, you're trying to figure out who the killer is. It's literally death. And it's just like, can you figure out how you're going to die before you get killed? And that bus scene in the movie theater, I still remember jumping when that girl got killed. Like it was, shocking at the time now like because of Final Destination I think it was like a gateway to get to like movies like Saw you know and I think what the, it was like a necessary step to get to where we are like to the purge and all that stuff like just kind of taking the horror genre and like flipping it on its head and it's crazy every sequel of that movie continues to get higher Rotten Tomatoes um, ratings no. <laughs> that does not happen <laughs>
0: With <laughs> sequels, it's very, very weird. I think. Yeah. It, I think it says more about the series as a form of camp horror than it does yeah. how, like, how actually scary it is. A lot. Of yeah. Time.
1: It's, it's definitely not scary, now. Like, but I just Jackie and I just went to Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios. Wow, cool! Yeah. We had so much fun. We just got back, and. When I tell you that when I got on the roller coaster, I had asked Jackie, I was like, was there a horror movie with a roller coaster? She's like, I don't know. And then I was like, oh, my God, yes, Final Destination 3. And so it's like in the moment, it's not scary per se. But when you get home after watching those movies, every single inanimate object becomes dangerous and you're scared. And I think that's what makes them kind of cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they work on that level, then that's all you got to ask out of a horror movie, right?
1: <laughs> like, come on, tell me you're driving your car and you see a truck with a bunch of um, lumber in the back. You're not freaking out thinking that they're going to oh, hit
0: you. <laughs> I have never not thought that <laughs> my entire life. I hate being behind a lumber truck. With some yeah.
1: Wind.
0: There was one I saw the other day. And it had, like, nothing securing the wood. Like, the only thing keeping that wood on there was the sheer weight of the wood. And oh, my can't, God. I can't even imagine being so reckless. It, it was insane. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about, <laughs> talk about, talk about movies in your podcast. Um, what are, What would you say some of your favorite movies have been, like, going back to? Oh, man.
1: Um, so, so far... Um gosh, it's so hard. So recently we've had some just interesting um conversations and different guests that like we I think we got a little deeper in some of our episodes because usually we it's a lot of laughs, we're joking, we're making fun of stuff, but we did ease by you, it like Beckham and um my big fat Greek wedding. And those three movies, we just had, like, really interesting conversations about family and stuff like that. And that was really, really a good dive in um, for us. But for me, I love Parent Trap. So when we did that episode, I was very excited, especially since Jackie does not like The Parent Trap. Um, So it's one of my favorite episodes. And I would say still Independence Day when we did that one. Was really fun for us. We laughed a lot during that episode.
0: Are you talking about the Lindsay Lohan Parent Trap?
1: Mhm. Yeah. yeah. I love the old one too. Like I grew up on all those old Disney movies, but like something about that. Well, I love all Nora Ephron movies for some reason. Um, just vibes all the way. Um, but yeah, I love that Parent Trap. But Jackie loves It Takes Two with the Olsen twins. And so we are constantly in debate about those two movies.
0: I uh, I believe that the Lohan Parent Trap might be one of the first movies I saw in a the theater. Like, oh wow! I do have some memory of being in the local theater, and this was back when my very small town had a theater. Um, I'm pretty sure that theater was gone by ninety eight or ninety nine so I would say I wouldn't have been more than six years old if I was going to see that low hand parrot trap and uh it's really it's really weird to think about uh how cinema how theaters have become in the past few years. Uh, A lot of the theaters now are owned by the studios. They've gone back on those rules that say studios can't own theaters since the pandemic. So a lot of our theaters now are completely owned by by studio chains. And uh, when I was younger, I remember thinking, like, the, (laughs) the, the theater experience was just a different thing. Like, we didn't have... Quite the advertisements we have anymore Um, and whenever I go to see a movie now which I don't I don't quite go and see blockbusters the way people do a lot of the time because I just don't I just don't have any interest in putting my money in such a thing like I saw Clerks 3 recently and I saw that with my friend just us in the theater and that was one of the most intimate theater experiences I've ever had but it's the only experience I've had in a theater since the pandemic started, and i ha I hear a lot of, a talk from people that these are pretty common experiences in a theater anymore that you that a lot of people go out to a theater and because the pandemic has affected the movie going experience so thoroughly that they end up being some of the only people in theaters seeing movies
1: um yeah i well, I saw Clerks three too. Um, my You dad like was, it. I did. I mean, we're pretty big Kevin Smith fans. Jackie is way more than me. Um, but we had just done Clerks, so I was like, okay, I have to go see Clerks three. Um, it was really good. Uh, there was. They did say like trigger warning. I had to tell Jackie too because um, there's some sadness in it. Obviously. Oh yeah. But for Jackie and I, like, um, it's a little bit of a touchy subject because of, um, personal experiences with our dads. So I was like, it's good, but trigger warning on that. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was really heartfelt and to the core of Kevin Smith. Um, not it wasn't just like all kind of dirty jokes, but like it had a lot of heart to it, which was nice. I thought that was good.
0: The thing that saves me from completely cutting Kevin Smith off is the fact that he actually does have drama in his films when he's trying and he's capable of pulling off reasonable drama. And there's a lot about Clerks 3 that I felt was kind of... it, It didn't really sell for me, like, some of the humor... I thought some of the humor they were doing to kind of comment on older things that happened in the movies were a little shoved in and didn't have the impact they needed to have. But everything that was needed to convey the drama and the weight of the situation by the end of the movie came into full effect. And even though I had all these other issues with it, and they're not really any of the issues... they're not anything different than any other issue I have with most Kevin Smith films. Yeah. I did feel like this was a successful film for him and that he can consider this an achievement because it does tie together the first two movies mm-hmm. in a dramatic way for a payoff.
1: Yeah, I I think that there were parts that I actually laughed at and then there were parts where that just like kind of fell on deaf ears kind of situation. Mm-hmm.
0: They have a uh, race humor bit that's horrible in that film
1: they have a a, a what
0: a like race humor bit and yeah and
1: it's it supposed pretty. to be a,
0: it's supposed to be a comment on the second movie with the uh and uh i i'm not saying this to be mean uh the the slur uh porch monkey it's supposed to be a comment on that scene from clerks 2 but it doesn't play because there's nothing like bringing us into that bit of comedy. So that bit of comedy just appears out of nowhere, and it leads to a short, tepid conversation about like these racial terms, and it doesn't have the impact that that bit did in Clerks 2 because that whole bit in Clerks 2 is about how Randall is a jackass that won't listen to other people no matter how offensive he's being, and. <laughs> And this one was nothing like a payoff like that. The
1: and it also brings up the the kind of weird racial tone in the not tone but like there's a whole conversation about um, uh, Dante's ex girlfriend's new fiance. Yeah. And, um, from the so from the first movie, and it's also like okay so. I think a critique that a lot of people have had about Kevin Smith movies is that, like, there's a, especially Clerks 1, it takes place in New Jersey, absolutely lack of diversity whatsoever. And I think, you know, we get, if you look at most of Kevin Smith movies, there isn't a whole bunch of diversity per se. I think you get Chris Rock being weird and saying very weird things in... um, Dogma. Dogma.
0: And Jay's in and Bob
1: Silent Bob, Strikes Back. Um, so it was weird because it was a great opportunity for him to really speak on it and do better. But in a way, he kind of just doubled down to say, like, what was said in Clark's 1 wasn't racist. And, like, it wasn't—he it, He didn't— he took the opportunity to say nothing, really. Yeah. So it was just really, that was, I was trying to just stay in the movement, the the bleh, the movie and just, you know, not think about it too much because then I knew I would get annoyed. So I was just like, let me just ignore it and just continue to watch the rest of the movie. But, yeah, not great.
0: Yeah. I also, um, you mentioned his girlfriend, like Dante's old girlfriend, that pops up in the movie. I that think, was random. I think this movie also has a big Kevin Smith problem, where he turns women into fuck dolls to, <laughs> like, to, to like put it in a very blunt way, like, yeah. a lot of times women only have sexual positions in his films. And I'm not saying you can't have like a sexualized character in a film, but in a Kevin Smith movie, it seems like his female characters are always so represented within terms of sexuality. In the first, in the second film, Randall is constantly harassing his uh, fiance. About about just nonsense about them yes. just being a, a a couple you know who are about to be married and expressing their love. He uh, he is. There, there's one part of the comedy about that that makes me very upset. Every time he like mentions her vagina or something, he mentions her clit. Every time he mentions her like large clit, it's such a frustrating bit of humor in the second Clark's film, and. Part of the problem I have with Clark's 3 too, is that it hinges its drama on Randall being an asshole again.
1: <laughs> like, like there's just- no character growth whatsoever. We've been through three movies, and even with this, like, very big life event, he still has learned nothing. They are still very much the same dynamics with each other. We see some growth with Dante, but in a sense, he's still a whiny baby. It's just, you know, Kevin Smith cannot write women. Yeah, which makes yeah. me think, you know, and Jackie and I had this conversation on that on Clerks, and we had the conversation on Jane, Silent Bob Strike Back because, you know, yeah, he's married and he has a daughter, but obviously, it's very clear of how he thinks of women. And not as full, whole people to build real characters, but they are like crutches or support of the guy characters in the movie. And it's not much different than many unfortunate um, writer directors um, of that time. And um, I just, I just, it just, I was looking at this movie to see if he had grown any a little bit more. Um, and as most people say, the woke agenda, if he's learned a little bit. And he, I don't think he did because they bring back Dante's ex-girlfriend and essentially she's there to have sex in the car and then leave.
0: Yeah, yeah. She's like a small part of the movie they're making, but you don't really – we don't really have a sense of her character's place in the movie by the end of it. And even though I did feel like, and I'm not this isn't too big of a spoiler for anyone, um, even though I did feel like the ending was like resolved in a good way and it had an emotional way of ending it that tied everything together for an unintended trilogy, I still feel like you don't have any sense of her place and her weight in all of this. And yeah. I, I just feel like for such an important character to bring back from the first movie, yeah. which in the first movie she is con- considered a fucked doll pretty much from yeah. the um, unfortunately. But she's still a pretty important character in the first movie because so much of the drama in the first movie hinges upon how her sexual politics act and how that affects Dante with his day. It just feels kind of sad that like she comes back and here's another thing we should mention about this character too. She is a professional and has moved on and has become something better. And she still has to become a fuck doll because Kevin Smith has to reward Dante on some level. And that, that frustrates the hell out of me.
1: Yeah. It, I am terrified to to do um Mallrats and Chasing Amy on the podcast because like growing up those were two of my favorite ones. I mainly Mallrats, but Chasing Amy I already know I haven't watched it rewatched it in years. I already know it's going to be so problematic. So oh, yeah. I'm, I'm terrified. Terrified.
0: Oops. There's a bit where uh, Jason Lee like shows horse pornography to a child, if I remember correctly
1: <laughs> yeah
0: nah. I see that look on your face <laughs> yeah
1: it's it's yeah. gonna it's gonna be it's gonna <laughs> be a lot <laughs>
0: that, yeah um i that is like a side effect of Kevin Smith uh working in the pornography industry for so long and I, I think it's like a frustrating thing. Okay, one of my favorite Kevin Smith films is uh, Zack and Mary Make a Porno. I think it is one of his better films. I think it has a certain camaraderie with the cast and everybody that makes it much more likable and enjoyable. I think the two leads being so down on the, down and out on their luck in their financial situation also helps make the uh, situation easier to tolerate but at the same time like it doesn't it doesn't help us get better female characters in a Kevin Smith movie like <laughs> i'm not saying normal people can't be represented in films and i'm not saying pornography stars can't be represented in films on some level but at the same time if you're not really showing if you're not really creating a, a story for your female characters that leads out away from the sexual situation into something different, and like maybe so does something different with a love story too, because yeah. she didn't need to end up with Seth Rogan. she's basically just going back to Seth Rogan because that's some dude she's been around for a long time, and they yeah. they've been intertwined with each other for so damn long it's it's just an impulse you know like it, it doesn't Look, it doesn't equal love
1: <laughs> these directors, these writers, right. They have um, they have created these characters, and you you could spot it a mile away that are them, right? They're versions of themselves that they put into their movies, which is normal. Everybody puts a little bit of themselves. Actors do it, writers, directors, whatever. But they've made this narrative because they've probably felt maybe like ignored, or they haven't gotten the ladies that they wanted to get, and they. They will get, like, super hot chick to be the lead. She has no development, no character. And then the guy who, you know, I, I was just, we were just talking about this, like, they were saying rom-coms are dead. But really, they didn't die. Some, um, a creator on um, TikTok was saying that really what happened is Judd Apatow happened. And movies like that that happened in, like, the 2010s completely changed the genre of rom-coms from, like, two very attractive Hollywood stars, which I'm fine with, like, let's see ourselves in movies. But the standards for the girl parts didn't change. The guy parts changed. So the guys were, like, everyday average guys, but the girls were, like, super, still super hot chicks. And the guys where they used to be, like, equals financially, physically, mentally, like, everything, they were about matched up. Now you're having a guy who, okay, he looks average, no problem, but he's, like, not, he's he doesn't have a decent job or he's kind of stuck, like, that's the, the thought process. And he does, like, absolutely nothing, right? But somehow still gets the super hot girl, And that is how it, like, changed the rom-com. It was made for, it was rom-coms made for guys, like, the everyday guy to say, like, you don't have to do anything. You can get your dream girl being an absolute slut, no problem. And I didn't think about it, but I was like, oh, my God, that's so true. There's so many of these movies that they are rom-coms, and they're not, like, what they were back in, like, the early 2000s. And I'm, I'm like, I don't like these. <laughs> I don't want yeah. to
0: be anymore. And uh, part of this, too, is like Kevin Smith himself is a bit of a schluff that got his dream girl. Uh, yeah. He's married to a very beautiful person who yeah. he constantly casts in his movies uh, and, <laughs> and talks way too much about online. <laughs>
1: Adam Sandler, he's married to oh, a beautiful woman. Oh, 10
0: out of 10 smoke show, if there ever was one. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah
0: he so does the same this thing. Too.
1: Yeah. Beth Rose's oh, wife is very smart, oh, very
0: beautiful. You can't trust Adam Sandler or David Spade to cast a movie. And believe me, they're not giving they're not getting a wife that even looks closely at their level. <laughs> I,
1: I'm just like, what the heck? But you know one person that I fully stand behind that or like was it wasn't rom coms in this time frame is Steve Carell. Hey. I, yeah, we'll be I, I can, a hundred, like, yes. You know, like, I don't have a problem with his characters. Um, like, 40-year-old virgin, he still had, like, this sweetness to him. Um, there's Dan in Real Life that I really love. I think it's underrated and not a lot of people talk about that movie. The Pancake uh, movie. Yeah, the Pancake movie where his head is resting on the pancakes. And then um, Crazy Stupid Love, you know. So I think he is an unconventional leading man, but I don't feel like he's schleppy. And even when he is shluppy, yeah. it's there's still like heart to him, you know?
0: Hey, people need to realize Steve Carell, 10 out of 10 smoke show. You take that guy's shirt off, like superman abs and (laughs) pets i don't know who builds that guy in the lab but they did a good job (laughs)
1: um another guy and this is like a conversation that's happening on tiktok about the the woman gaze okay Um, like how a lot of you know quote unquote alpha men don't understand what the real woman gaze is and um Like they were mentioning people like Steve Carell or Stanley Tucci, you know, he is just, he has charisma out the box and you just, you fall in love with him, whether he's playing gay, straight, whatever character Stanley Tucci plays. And then I think it helps that he's constantly making food and delicious pasta for his wife on TikTok every day, so We love us some Stanley Tucci in real life.
0: Yeah, I adore Stanley Tucci. Uh, We have a new Batman series coming out at at some point or another. I don't know exactly where they're going to throw that, but they have the whole thing finished, and it's a continuation of the animated series with Bruce involved. Yeah, and that was supposed to be like a tie-in with the Pattinson Batman, but they've been having like streaming issues or something along that line.
1: I just, I just have a message. DC, Warner Brothers, get your life together. Never have I ever seen people drop the bag as much as this company has. And, like, my heart aches right now to see just, like, the shambles that DC is in. Like, there is no excuse for you to be this disheveled when you've owned all of your IP this whole freaking time. Yeah. Like, it doesn't even make sense. And I've been saying this forever, that whoever runs animation and the storyline's there, just let them run everything else. Hell, at some point I was like, the CW shows are doing better than the, the movies at this yeah. point. Like, why is there just, why are there three separate corporate four you have people who are doing the comic books you have people doing the the um the animation which i think is a little bit closer to the people doing the the comic books and then you have tv separate and then you have movies and then with the tv you have cw and then you were trying to make like the dc universe um station who asked for that i know i didn't like why would i invest in TV, a whole nother network that I have to like pay for when you guys aren't consistently bridging a gap. It's fine if you have multiple universes in there standalone, but make that clear, have a plan, and stop like messing up everything, you know. And now with HBO Max and just watching how they're just slowly you have people who are behind the wheel. If I thought it was bad before. But now it's like people who definitely do not give a damn at all about these these properties and yeah. taking for granted their their customers
0: their customers and their employees if you look yeah. at what if you look at what David Zaslov is doing, there hasn't been a like purging of media on a massive streaming service like this in quite the same way. Um, I I feel so bad for all the industry professionals who have just suddenly lost like the amount of streaming money they would be getting otherwise simply because he has to do some cost cutting to satisfy Discovery when in fact HBO Max has probably been the bigger streaming, uh, one of the bigger streaming services, I would say it's that and the Disney streaming service that have been the biggest of the Disney H- uh, of of the streaming services altogether.
1: HBO Max is like was number one, and it had the best. I think it had in the last two years throughout the pandemic, pandemic it had the best content, um, huh? and. The best in diversity as well, like all all around from every group you could think of, we were seeing ourselves in the media that was being played on HBO Max, and what I'm seeing is a backpedaling on that, and you know wanting to cut down on that, which gives us a glimpse of where we are headed. Um, it's a little nerve wracking because. You know, you could see it because, like you were saying, they've cut back on all those laws that were put in place to protect um, media are are being pulled back. So now we're getting to these huge conglomerates, and if you look at the shares of who is controlling what we're watching now, it's very slim um, and scary. Uh, And that's going to be problematic because it's not hard to look at history and see what propaganda can be done. I mean, it's it's no lie that our government actually gives money to these studios to put certain scenes and certain things. Like, for example, when we did Spider-Man, one of the things we learned about the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, that the reason that he didn't have like the web shooters was because our government was like, we can't have this young guy in the movie have better technology than our government would like nuts. Really? Right. Yes. So that's, that's why, they, <laughs> that's why they made it where he, it was like coming out of him. And now, you know, we get jokes in the last Spider-Man movie with um, all of them talking yeah. about that but that was because that's how much power our government has in some of these big studio movies. So it, it's very scary to have a limit of opportunities for people to tell their stories authentically without an agenda behind it. So that does make me really super nervous. The more like this time Warner discovery thing, like that should have never happened. I love Marvel. But they should have never been really able to be able to buy Fox. As much as I want X-Men and all the properties to finally be back, like, that is dangerous for one company to control that much stake in our media.
0: I enjoyed the new She-Hulk well enough. I didn't think it was amazing, but it was fine, and I had an okay time with it on on the whole. But... You can tell in the show where the effects are kind of underdone. Like, there are a few instances where you can really tell that things were rushed and they didn't—they weren't worried about color grading and making it look, like, properly the way it should. Um, I think there's a certain standard today, especially when this company has created some of the biggest effects-driven blockbusters of all time. To have for special effects, and we, with these companies tightening down, we're seeing the results in everything. We're seeing the the outcome in everything, and the special effects. We're seeing it in the acting. We're seeing it in the way actors act towards these companies in public, like. Not just actors too, but creators. Like uh, the animation world has been hit incredibly hard with all the HBO Max stuff going on. I
1: know. Like, look at Cartoon Network. That that is really depressing. And that was an opportunity. Like, they only care about big IPs. And just because you have a big IP doesn't mean it's going to be quality. You know. Just think about it. If if we are getting down to this, we're going to have less and less. Just variety and really cool animation and thinking outside the box. I mean, it's very mainstream now, but like I think about um, Avatar: The Last Airbender and just how different that TV show was. I know that's Nickelodeon, but like that was just having the room to to be creative and and different and not having to depend on a big IP. Like we're not going to get those kind of ideas. If if they we're having old white men just decide what is going to make money, putting money first. And I think the studios used to have at least a balance where we were getting, you know, we had the really big blockbusters and we had some of the small art house and they should have seen it coming. But they were so greedy about things that they didn't like. They didn't process where things were going. And now they're like, the only thing that works are these huge blockbusters. And that's not true. Like, look at everything everywhere all at once. I don't think anybody, you know, if it didn't go through A24, like you wouldn't see a Disney or a Universal, something, somebody like that making, taking those chances on good quality movies people are thirsty for, for different things. I think that's why the streaming TV shows are doing so well because they're taking chances with very unique stories. And we're not going to see that in animation. We're not going to see that in movies. It's just like getting yeah. really crappy, you know, like now we're getting like hallmark level movies on Netflix. Cause they're just churning out crap and all the stars are just like, okay, what do I, what, I, I can't make blockbuster movies every second, so I'm just going to let Netflix pay me $5 million, $50 million to do nothing. you know.
0: We're going to have a repeat of what happened in the 70s and 80s, where we're getting a bunch of cheap animation pumped out for children to capitalize on children's material. Uh, you know, We're going to be getting stuff that is less diverse, like um, just recently, the third season of The Owl House came on. Now, I don't know if you're a fan of that show, but it's a very well-respected cartoon on Disney, and has mm-hmm. uh, it has a whole ton of interesting diversity going on in it. Very distinct characters. It's a show I've come to love very much. Uh, I consider it my uh, alternative to Harry Potter. Now I don't I don't go into Harry Potter and The Owl House does that for me now (laughs) but that's ending the season and disney hasn't said that they plan on doing anything else with it and it has struggled partially because of that diversity there are other issues too there are bigger properties that disney deals with but the diversity issues are also part of the problem
1: like there's not enough diversity or there is diversity and they
0: Oh, there, there is di- diversity, and it's one of the things that makes Disney not quite as fond of it. And we've seen how the House of Mouse reacts to its own diversity that its employees want to put in. They're caught, like, okay, we had Lightyear this past uh, summer, right? Mm-hmm. And they took out a kiss, two women having a, a, a kiss, like two women who are married having a kiss. Yeah. They did, that to be shown and the outlash was so bad they had to put it back in. And that's the way it should be. These animators shouldn't be tolerating that. If they have a contract that states, Oh, this can do this in our film then they should be able to uphold that. They should be able to <laughs> see their vision.
1: If Disney was able to put a bunch of dicks on the Little Mermaid cover, they need to stop
0: with there are, there are a bunch of dicks on the Little Mermaid cover. <laughs> I was yeah. thinking maybe there was one or two because the animators are a little pervy, but there's a bunch.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a ton on that original, uh, that OG box. I didn't but, know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a, those old, like, the, you know, Aladdin, all that yeah. stuff. There's all that crap that was in there. But I just, yeah, when you look at how they were able to um, – Just, like, even the marketing, right? Like, if we look at Marvel, for example, in the first few phases, it's just kind of crazy that we didn't get a Black Widow. So, like, that a Black Widow solo movie wasn't planned. Every Avenger should have gotten something. Her and um, uh, Hawkeye could have done something together, you know? Oh,
0: yes. Why did that not happen?
1: Why? So, like, and then waiting and pushing it off and pushing it off and what they tried to do, like to Scarlett Johansson um, was just like a slap in the face. And then when um, shot, what was the other one? Um, It came out during um, the, during COVID. And it was just like all that talk about how they weren't going to, They were gonna release it streaming at the same time. Oh, Eternals. No, um, Sha. Oh.
0: uh, I think
1: it's at the tip of my tongue and I can't think of it. I can't get it out. It's okay. I (laughs) feel bad.
0: That's crazy. Um, I agree with you about Black Widow because there's a character that has just as much backstory and history as any other Marvel character. Yeah. And even with the problems that a lot of people might have with her character, they can find somebody to do something more with that. They can find somebody to make the sexuality of that character palatable in a way to modern audiences that would have something to say about her, like history, and like they could, they could even do stuff where like she could be in the 40s and 50s and working, you know, as a secret operative. I just. I just couldn't believe that the Black Widow movie we got was the movie it was because it feels so disconnected from the entire Marvel cinematic universe. Most of the characters in it, uh, besides Black Widow and her sister, they don't need to be there. Her Her dad doesn't need to be there.
1: The only reason they did it, I think, was like they knew they wanted to, like obviously they wanted to replace Black Widow's character, essentially, and introduce this whole other world. But yeah. I don't know why they couldn't have done that way yeah. earlier. You yeah. know? The way that they did it was just ridiculous. And, um, yeah, it, it, I was thinking of Shang, Shang-Chi.
0: The, Shang-Chi, yeah. Yeah.
1: I, um, like, so you make an all-Asian movie, Everyone's excited about it. Well, most people are excited about it. And then you decide that you're going to try to cut its legs off essentially by saying um, we're going to release it at the same time as the movie theater. So, like, it won't have a chance to really make its money and, you know, to give it a chance. They Because it was such a like, outrage um, on social and from the actors speaking out um, – they were able to like at least 45 days let it be in the theater and it did really well. But like the the marketing and stuff like that, when it comes to some of the more diverse movies, they just kind of like skate on by and they don't yeah. have do a good job and they try to blame it on um they try to blame it on COVID and stuff like that. But like yet when. Thor was coming out, and when Doctor Strange 2 (sighs) came out, it was like the advertising was down our throat about it, like so far in advance,
0: too. Oh, yeah.
1: And I feel like Shang-Chi was way better than Thor.
0: Uh, um, I think Shang-Chi is better than all the Thor movies. And I'm a bigger Doctor Strange fan, but I think Shang-Chi is a better, more interesting picture than the first Doctor Strange by far.
1: Honestly, Doctor Strange is essentially the same character as Tony Stark in the MCU.
0: Yeah, in the first movie, it plays almost beat for beat. Like the first Iron Man, to a degree, right. like and yeah it's a it's a little frustrating to me because the origin thing I don't even think needed to happen. I don't right. think anyone gave a shit about how Dr. Strange became Dr. Strange. You know what I think people give a shit about with Dr. Strange. I think they give a shit about him like showing up in portals and just doing stuff. He can right. just be like, he can just be like the Rick Sanchez of the Marvel Universe, and everyone will be cool with it.
1: Yeah, no, no questions to ask, and it just, and I don't need another smart ass, rich white guy <laughs> yeah. to be like the leader because they've already kind of like positioned him in that way. And then when it comes to Wanda, I'm just like, dude, why are you guys slaughtering this very <sighs> big possibility character? You know, yeah. Like, I personally liked WandaVision. For the fact that, like, at that time, because of COVID, and my dad passed away in 2019, so like, that that TV show was really like this phase of the MCU, which I don't think a lot of people are quite getting. It's like, it is very much about grief, and and moving in that in that direction of like what happens when these catastrophic things happen to you, and like how you rebuild. You know a lot of times we see really bad things happen in these like action movies, people die, and there's like no time or grace period of like what real people go through to cope through, through that. It's just like, okay, we're fighting again in the next movie, but now it's like you're seeing these characters go through the grieving process. You see, what is it like for um, uh, for. Bucky and um, the new Captain America. <laughs> what it's like Sam. for them, <laughs> for Sam and yep. um, Bucky, what it's like for them to not have Cap around anymore, yeah. to have Steve around. So you see them grieving in different ways, and all their grief bringing them together as friends where they really didn't like each other. You see Wanda grieving. You Know she didn't get a chance to grieve her brother, she didn't get a chance not, you know, to, to grieve five years that she's lost and her man, I guess, I don't yeah. know what you want to call vision. Um, her, her toy, toy her, her toy, <laughs> and, and and she all that grief just comes out into this, you know, her not realizing she has that much power to just like literally think of whatever she wants. Um, And I appreciated the stages of grief that she went through and I appreciated that's what's so great about television is that you get to tell a deeper, maybe longer story than you would have to do in movies. And I think so many people's minds are like thinking of the formula of a Marvel movie and they're not giving these TV shows the space to be creatively different outside the box. I don't know.
0: No, I agree with you 100%. I think a lot of the issue with uh, WandaVision being perceived in the public was that it it didn't follow our modern typical superhero idea because it, it spent so much time playing in sitcom tropes as an allegory for its trauma that I think it kind of bewildered people. Yeah. But I do believe it was one of the stronger of the MCU series, even though I felt like they kind of stretched in the sitcom plotting. Um, There's Malcolm in the Middle though, with Quicksilver Reese. Um yeah. <laughs> That hit my shitty little white guy heart so hard, <laughs> let me tell you. Oh, if there was a show that was made for shitty white guys in the 2000s, Malcolm in the Middle, baby. That show
1: was so freaking hilarious. I
0: fucking love that show.
1: But, me, it doesn't get enough (laughs) now, but, like,
0: it It was. It doesn't even age that bad either. uh, Like,. Aside from the fact that nobody's on the phone in the show, like, it really hasn't aged that badly at all. I mean, working-class people still go through pretty much the exact same troubles.
1: It was it was a really good show, and I, I think you're right. Wanda maybe lasted just a little too long. They could have probably condensed some stuff. But, again, people's mindsets, because, you know, you come off Endgame and you're just thinking everything's connected and all the people are, like, thinking about, you know, is this comic book character coming? Is this instead of just saying like, let me look at what this piece of media is right now in the moment and what is it trying to to say? Like, it doesn't have to be a crazy big thing. Like, She Hulk is a sitcom essentially. Yeah. Be a sitcom. It doesn't have to have like any crazy big things. It could just be an introduction to Jennifer and see her. As a different character, like, what happens when someone else gets these powers that's not, like, full of trauma, like Bruce, and shame, and having it split, you know, versus a person who's able to just, like, have a duality about it, but embraces it, and... Just her living her life as what is it like to have this life-altering event happen and just let it be fun. Like, why can't it just just be fun, you know?